Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. All right, hello, 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 and welcome to Girlfriend It. This is Patty Wyatt, and today we are talking about fun stuff like conflict and dealing with difficult people. In this segment, we will be identifying and recognizing what is going on in our brain when conflict takes place. And then in the next show, we will begin practicing the skill of how to ask clarifying questions, probing questions, and insightful questions. So stay curious and listen empathically. Um, I, I once heard a friend say, I thought my funeral would be packed with friends and coworkers, but as I get older, I keep losing them because they're all crazy, or should I say they're just a bunch of idiots? And we laugh at that, but you will find yourself being wounded and hurt from coworkers, from friends, from family members. And as we get older, there are definitely more opportunities to be hurt by someone. According to Joseph Grinney, a recent study showed that shows that 95% of a company's work, um, that just the struggles that they confront with their colleagues and managers about their concerns and, and frustrations. Um, it, you know, so in other words, we're spending all this time in conflict and the research shows that employees waste an average of $1,500 um, in any eight hour workday for every crucial conversation they avoid. So in extreme cases of avoidance, um, and the organization's bottom line can be hit especially hard. A shark, a shocking 8% of employees estimate their inability to deal with conflict costs an organization more than $10,000. So yikes. Um, I, I had a hard time getting through, um, all those numbers and statistics, but what is happening in our organizations, yet alone what happens inside our homes and the cost that's taking place? Uh, we can see it right now in families being fragmented and divorce is taking place. Uh, grandparents are now raising their, their children because of just so much conflict that is happening. And what are we doing about it? What is going on? What are the limitations that we face as humans? Um, it's, it's how we look at the world from our own subjective perspective. I know my husband used to tease me. It's, it's your world, Patty. I just live in it. And, and he would say that jokingly, but, um, often we kind of live life in that perspective. Obviously, um, that's not the way God wants us to live. He's asked us to love Jesus and love others, but we end up taking over and become very myopic and self-absorbed. If there is something at stake, we have this little built-in bias to protect ourselves, right? Uh, perhaps it doesn't have to be so one-sided. If we could develop the skill 
to be more empathic, to be able to look through another person's eyes, another person's lens, we can be tapping into a powerful, powerful tool. As a trainer in the airlines, we would um, train the flight attendants and pilots. When you are negotiating with a hijacker, if you want to sell hope to the hijacker, then you better see it through his eyes. Um, and so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk away with some tools on how we can truly see it through other people's eyes, how we can influence other people and connect with them in a meaningful way by understanding someone else's feelings and circumstances. And right now, we're going to learn basically how to be a mediator or at least snag some awesome ninja skills of a mediator. And uh, when I say that, it's... Th- Today, we're just going to get into um, a perspective of how we're thinking and how other people are thinking. So it's going to be very basic and yet, I hope, powerful. I'm going to start out with the story of, of a person I knew who they would go through so much anxiety and stress and fear uh, with this this woman would comp- complain about her husband all the time because he wouldn't allow her to go out with her girlfriends. And for years, she would share this fear and anxiety. And I found out as I was talking to her, I wasn't asking her the right questions. I, I wasn't digging deeper and asking her open-ended questions, questions that clarified, you know, probing questions, insightful questions. And when I finally started doing this, I realized she was not giving her husband the information of when she was going, where she was going, because she took on the attitude of, um, of her mindset was, I'd rather ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. And she just always thought, oh, he's going to say no. As soon as I ask him, hey, I'm going out with my friends. Um, I, you know, at one point she wanted to go on a cruise. There's no way that he was going to let her go on a cruise. And she just always thought her husband would say no. So she began deceiving him and telling him she was doing other things or she was working later. Uh, you know, she was going with so-and-so. It was a work situation, whatever it was. And then he would find out later what she had been doing. Well, obviously, this is breaking trust. He would be concerned and it would spiral into this huge conflict for years of why are you lying to me? Why can't you just be honest with me? And she was thinking, if I'm honest with you, you're going to say no and I'm not going to be able to go. Uh, so she, she saw this as he was very controlling and he just wanted to know every single second of where I am and I can't understand, um, why he is doing this and yet he couldn't understand why she was being so deceitful. So a savvy mediator would be able to dig deeper and figure out where the conflict was coming from. And when there is conflict, it it usually is not about something as simple as, oh, you never take out the trash. It's about you don't respect me. You don't value me. So there's usually a value there that you feel is being ripped out or torn apart. There is a fear of, you know, perhaps you're going to leave me. So when we find out that core of where the conflict is coming from, Obviously, in this situation, one was having the fear of you are going to leave me, so I'm going to try and control you, 
And then the wife was having the core fear of you don't trust me and you're too controlling. Um, but obviously she was breaking trust left and right. So this conflict is spiraling out, out of control off of those deep core values. Uh, so number one to put into our toolbox and um, I believe we're not going to get past number one today, <laughs> but that is just being able to identify what is going on. We have to recognize that our brain is significant. It's fascinating how God wired us. Our brain is telling you what is important. And when it's telling us that, when it bumps into conflict, we go through fight, flight, or freeze mode. If you're standing and talking with someone and all of a sudden you're listening to their voice and you hear a car crash outside, your brain immediately switches from this cognitive mode to the limbic mode and the, the brain literally just pushes you over and it changes gears. It pushes that conversation out of the way and now it's focusing on the crash outside, the noise, the sounds. We know this is different and there's no way our brain is listening to the conversation anymore. Now it has to respond. It has to react. So normally you would be tuned into picking up the voice that is talking to you, but now your brain is changing into a different tune. And the same goes for if the conversation um, changes tones. So your, your brain picks up on volume, it picks up on high pitch, it picks up on low pitch. High pitch in our brain usually is coming from a child that is whining, um, a baby's uh, crying. So we all of a sudden go into that mode of, oh, I need to do something here. The low pitch, um, like a growl of a tiger, a growl of a bear, that becomes a threat as well. And even in a conversation, those pitch of tones will immediately capture our brain. It, it might start protecting itself and change the way we're thinking. So I just want to pause and let that sink in because that was, seems so simple. It, it's like, well, of course, Patty, if I hear a car crash, then yeah, I'm going to go check it out. Or if I hear a sound, I'm going to go check it out. But it's just so interesting because it's as simple as that. A, a, a pitch that is changing in a conversation we can see as a threat. And so when we're having a conversation and uh, now the brain is tuned into a tone, the low deep threats and the high whines will literally change the middle part of our brain. It will phase out and we will go into a different part of our brain. So one minute your brain is focused on the conversation, but then a bump of conflict happens. And the voice level changes, it starts out to get ready for the attack. In other words, just by changing the tone of a voice. And we've all heard that comment, oh, he uses a tone on me. And and you'll hear this, either a husband will say, yeah, she keeps using this this nagging tone on me, which they either shut out. Some, some psychologists say it's because um, it goes back into the deeper, darker, formative years where maybe their mom was saying, you know, you need to, I don't know, sweep off the, the porch and it's this nagging, you know, here they are watching cartoons on a Saturday morning and mom keeps saying, did you sweep off the porch? Did you sweep off the porch? Did you sweep off the porch? And there's this tone that their brain is, has, has learned on to protect them from this particular pitch. And then all of a sudden they get married and wife 
says, hey, I was wondering if we could clean out the garage today. And it goes into a certain pitch and boom, it sets the husband off. And you're going, wait, what did I say? And it's the same thing, you know, you hear women talking about you know, their spouse where their husband uh, says, you know, what are you talking about? We we didn't say we were going out with them tonight. And it immediately starts into this conflict when the husband was just saying it in a passionate way of, okay, you're, you're throwing me here. I didn't know we were going out with the Joneses tonight, but it comes across as such a threat that the brain goes into this amygdala hijack and it starts preparing, preparing itself for protection and it's going into fight, flight, or freeze mode. So the relevance in this, in conflict, if two people are arguing, they will not be able to see the good. They will not be able to reason if they are amped up, ramped up, or charged up. Our brain is geared to protect us from threats. So it, it's literally priming you to deal with the snake, the car crash, the threat, even if it's as simple as, did you sweep off the porch? It, it, we don't understand completely of what triggers certain parts of the brain, but we do know it is preparing for that threat. So once again, it's preparing us for fight, flight, or freeze mode. And there, there's actually a fourth, and that's the fawn mode. And we're not going to get into that because that's when, um, that's like true trauma has taken place usually in before you were 18 years of age. But we will talk about that another time because that is, um, that goes into just, like I said, major trauma that's taken place. So we're going to talk about fight. The fight the blood is rushing to the muscles so we we can take on this threat. We can take on the snake, the tiger, the rhino. And and fight is a good thing. It's a flood of adrenaline. Um, you know, it's time for us to, to make changes. And, uh, you know, we often think, okay, you know, we, we can't, you know, that righteous fight, like we can't always get into this mode of I'm going to fight. I'm going to, I'm going to take things on. But, there is often this is used in a really good way if we give our brain a chance to um, have that white space and and think about it, think about the bigger picture. So when we get into the fight in our brain, it, things will change and it it allows sometimes ourselves to get really creative and to make changes because we are in that protection mode and these chemicals are being triggered. Uh, our brain wants to do something with these chemicals and your, your body has to do something with all of this. It takes four to seven seconds to go into this amygdala hijack, but around 20 minutes to, to settle your glitter, so to say, to settle your brain down after it's been hijacked. So we need to allow the space, identify what is happening, recognize the psychological as well as the physiological triggers and and pause. You know, go outside, breathe in fresh air, take time to think about it. Um, sometimes it can be years that you stay in this fight mode, but be solution focused, not whiny focused. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, you know, not in the victim mode, but in that, what can I do about this? An example, 
uh, several years ago when when my mom was murdered in a mass shooting. Uh, my dad, being in the military as well as um, a highway patrolman, his fight mode, the way he protected things looked differently. And obviously he went through um, grief and was very angry at what happened when this man came in and announced, I am going to kill you all and went on a 23 second shooting spree. But what happened in my dad's brain is he began to fight for the rights for himself as well as for others. He joined up with um, attorneys and in a good way changed policies, changed laws for victims to be able to share their story in court and literally got um, an, a law with my mom's name on it that basically says you have to, as a victim, have the right to be heard. And prior to this law, only the defendants could share before the sentencing occurred. And the victims just had to sit there passively listening to this person who who did incredible harm to them and their family that would affect them forever. And they they just basically stayed in that victim role and um, they couldn't be heard. And, and so often when a victim just has someone, um, you know, they're listening empathically saying, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Then it's just like this balloon that, you know, it goes off and it, it deflates. It's like, whew, all right, someone is validating me. Someone is hearing me. I'm having a right to stand up in court. And the judge is is actually leaning in and saying, I'm sorry that happened. And now we can move forward on the sentencing because we know how much it affected you as an individual, as a human, and really humanizing the situation. So in that situation, like I said, when you get into fight mode, it can last for years and great things can can come of this fight mode. Now let's talk about flight Flight mode is when we run and we avoid conflict at all costs. Now, in this situation where obviously a man comes in in a mass um, shooting, being able to run can be a great thing. But if you then avoid, you stay in that flight mode and you never address this horrific thing that took place, you know, that's where post-traumatic stress syndrome starts taking place where you can't unpack it. You can't, you know, go deeper because you're just always in that flight mode. Whenever it triggers, you're just going to push it back down, just shove it back down. So flight mode is great at the beginning in that four to seven seconds if you quickly think I'm running away from the threat. But it's not so good if you keep avoiding it. Okay. Um, it's, it's okay to take a breath, calm ourselves down, but we want to be able to, um, address the conflict. So if you're one of those people that you avoid conflict at all cost, um, at, at work, you're letting coworkers say things, do things, and it's like, I don't care, you know, I just have to show up and get my check. I could care less. I'm going to avoid all this that's taking place. It is going to affect you. It is going to cause anxiety and stress, and it's not going to be good. I just can't say it enough. So be aware of that. What's triggering? How am I responding? Am I going into fight mode, flight mode, or freeze mode? And that's where we're going to get into um, freeze. And like I said, once again, I keep talking about the three, but the fourth response would be fawn. 
and that's a complex drama, so we'll talk about that in a later show. So back to freeze. An example would be when we freeze, um, let's say it's in a conference room, when a boss is going after an employee. I don't know. Maybe it was you. If it was, I'm, I'm so sorry because <laughs> we've all been there in that freeze mode and it's horrible. But perhaps uh, they didn't make a deadline or they cost the company thousands of dollars and um the boss becomes so upset. They become, they're basically in, they're in the, they're in the midst of their own amygdala hijacking and they're unloading on this poor employee and they're screaming. They're telling him, you know, read page three, the last paragraph again. And I can't believe you're such an idiot and you did this and you know how much money the company has lost because of your stupid mistake and blah, 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 blah. And they're going on. And this poor employee, when he says, read page three he's in a panic and he looks down and he thinks page five is page three and he is completely unaware of what he's even saying and reading and the boss then completely explodes uh goes into a rage once again you're such an idiot you can't even follow simple directions uh you know we we all see where this is going right so that is when you get into freeze mode another example that we've might have experienced, um, even if it's on a TV show where you're watching, um, you know, a movie about, you know, the kid that's into sports or you're there at a little league game and you watch a father go off on his son and the father starts screaming at his son. I, I, you know, invested all this money and all this time in you. And I can't believe you can't catch the stupid ball, ball, you know, blankety, blankety, blank. You don't respect me. You don't value my time and take your hat off while I'm talking to you and look me in the eyes as the poor, you know, son is just staring down at the dirt, but the poor kid is in freeze mode. He's completely turtling up. In other words, his shoulders, his head is just, he's trying to like become invisible. And this, the dad is this bear and the kid is playing dead because that's what freeze mode is about. It's about to protect us, which is a really good thing if you're in the forest and a bear comes along and you're able to, to freeze to the point where you're barely even breathing, but not in a place where dad is saying, look at me when I'm talking to you. And, you know, the poor kid can't even shift his head up and look at his dad. That is an example of freeze mode, which obviously creates more conflict. Dad walks away feeling disrespected. Once again, it goes back to that core value that has been, um, you know, ripped into the fear of, I just created a loser of a son. And the son walks away with, I'm a complete failure. The son loses his confidence. He feels less than, um, which is not a good feeling in your formative years. Uh, this can happen through bullying, but it can happen um, through bullying from the parents as well. So that narrative starts taking place and he begins protecting himself even more every time he hears a tone in his dad's voice or every time he hears a tone like that, it will trigger and he will go into freeze mode and try to protect himself. We began seeing life through that lens. So I want you to 
picture a triangle or if, if you're sitting down, actually, you know, if you have a pen and paper, draw a triangle out on the paper. And there are three roles that people share their story from that we go into this narrative from this perspective. One part of the triangle, triangle, let's say at the top is the victim role. The other corner is the superhero hero role. And the last corner is the role of a dragon. So this is a great imagery from Dr. Claire Fowler, an attorney and mediator. And um, one of the examples that, that she sh- shares is let's say there's a situation with an apartment and you have the landlord against uh, the, the person that's renting their place in the apartment. And now that person wants to get their deposit back. So that apartment was supposed to be cleaned in order to, you know, get that that return on the deposit. The person wanting the deposit um, returned and because uh, I shouldn't say returned, they're saying from the victim role, uh, you know, I cleaned, I scrubbed my apartment. I can't believe that you're not giving me my deposit back. I was up all night. What are you talking about? You know, how clean does it have to be? And the, the landlord is coming from the superhero role and is saying, you know, I knew that you wouldn't get that apartment cleaned up correctly. So I went there. I helped them clean. I scrubbed with them for hours just to make sure they would get their deposit back. Then you have the role of the dragon. Yeah, the apartment was clean, but, you know, they were always late on their payment. So this time there's no way I'm letting them have their deposit. They owed me for all their, you know, the problems that I've dealt with, blah, blah, blah. I've spent having to chase them down monthly to get their money. So rarely do you hear someone say, um, you know, I'm going to take ownership of this. And I know it was it was definitely my problem. I, I didn't stay up all night. I, I didn't get it clean. Um, and I'm uh, getting getting my my thoughts together here. So that that whole ownership, it usually we hear it from the eyes of a victim it's someone else's fault and everyone is accusing me. The problem is that that's the story we are telling ourselves. Then it becomes a role we take on and we stay in that role. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> we can get stuck in this role. It's like deep in the muck and mire. Um, if we are sharing from the dragon's perspective, then that is the way we move forward once again. With fire blowing out of our mouths and and pores, you know, venom becomes our friend and we become a nasty person. Our mind starts protecting the story to protect us. And instead of creating that white space and being able to see it from a larger perspective, we don't move forward. Um, So what do we do with that? How do we stay centered? Often we stay in our fight, flight, or freeze mode, and that becomes a narrative in our head. On a side note, that's why it's important in a mediation or during conflict 
people perhaps take a 20 minute break to clear their mind so they can start thinking, you know, why did I say that? Why did I do that? And maybe others can ask them questions that can change the narrative. So present yourself in a way that is centered and present. Um, so that way, as I say, and present, that present self can make decisions that future self would be excited about rather than upset about. A quick, simple example. Let's say I've been working all day in my high heels. I'm exhausted. My feet hurt. My legs hurt. I come home and there's trash overflowing. Now, of course, I would never do this because I'm so centered and amazing and I never get upset. But let's say someone else is doing this and they come home and say to their husband, I've been working all day. Are you kidding me? I come home and you're sitting there watching television, playing with your remote. You know, how come you couldn't take the trash out? You, you know, you need to take the trash out or you should be taking the trash out. It's all of these controlling words that they're throwing out at their husband. So you come in, you put out this proposal, you know, once again, with controlling words and you're taking on the dragon role because you're exhausted and you've had a hard day. So th- the position was set and, and typically there's layers here that if we dig down deeper, what is really being triggered? It's not about the trash. Uh, I, I had someone that was complaining, you know, about their husband. They're like, he, he never takes out the trash. And another friend said, well, then take out the trash. It's not a big deal. <laughs> and so it, it is funny if you say, yeah, we're getting divorced because he never took out the trash. It's not about the trash. What What's happening here is this person is not feeling loved and they're not feeling valued. Um, once again, most of the conflict comes from a deeper area and it's, it usually pokes into our values of not feeling respected. Uh, maybe there is a fear of, of not being loved, which goes into the triangle, which goes into fight, fight, or freeze because we are going to protect ourselves. Well, I'm going to stop there. And once again, you know, thank you for the, letting me have this opportunity to, to chat with you. And my challenge for you to put into practice is Take a peek inside your brain. Where are you in this triangle? Are you coming from the victim's role, the superhero, or the dragon? Start identifying your narrative and recognize how is your brain resolving conflict? What are the triggers? What do you need to work on? So today we just spent that time identifying and recognizing what is going on in our brain when conflict takes place. And in our next show in this series, we will begin practicing, practice, practicing the skill of how to, to stay curious, how to ask clarifying questions. How do we ask those probing questions, insightful questions? But for today, that is it. And let's mediate it together. Thank you.
Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's to